We have been talking for a few weeks now about the character of God, and we have been specifically talking in the last couple of weeks about sharing that character, what it means to be the biography that represents the character of God. Um, Several weeks ago, you may remember, we talked about the fact that when Jesus was sent to the earth, he was sent to the earth to reveal the character of God. Not in legal terms, not in political terms, not in professional terms, but as the biography of that character. He is the ultimate representation of the character of God. God in human flesh. When Jesus left, he filled his church with the Holy Spirit. Remember, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And he left the biography of the character of God in your hands and mine. And the church, for better or for worse, has been at that business ever since. How are we doing? How's the world feel about the character of God? A little confused, at least, right? Today I want to talk about some processes that we find ourselves in. I like the fact that peace has come back. When I was a kid, I grew up with that. The coolest greeting you could give to someone in 1972 was peace. And you had to do it like that, you know. At least in my neighborhood, you had to kind of look down, hold up your fingers, and go, peace. Some of you did that, didn't you? So now it's peace, which sounds more like fight. But I'm okay with at least that peace is back. And then you've got my kids to their father. Peace out, homie. I am somebody's homie. Homie G, by the way. I am interested that one of the last things Jesus says to the disciples is peace. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You know one of the the universally recognized character references for God is the person who is living peaceful in the midst of a hurricane. Right? Life is throwing all kinds of junk at them. The winds are swirling. Cows are flying. Cars are passing them through the air. And here's this person just perfectly calm. They're just peaceful. Everyone, universally, people say this about certain Christians. You know what I admire about sister so-and-so? You know what I admire about brother so-and-so? Believer, unbeliever, it doesn't matter. You know what I admire about them? No matter what's going on around them, they seem to have some inner resource of peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace, 
Jesus said that upon his exit, he would give us peace. We live in a society that's rapid and, and running all around. It's constant upheaval of things going on. Stuff is just thrown out all over the place. We're constantly trying to keep up with the speed of light. You know, we have this little thing on our, in our lap half the time where we type and stuff starts popping up. Or we have these smaller things we hold in our hand that we can just flip through pages of information, billions of pages of information out on the Internet. We can just drag it into our lives at any moment. And we're constantly trying to keep up with this thing. Now, from now on, when I, from this point on in the rest of my life, I'm sure that when I have a question, I will simply Google the answer. I've been doing it for the last five or six years. I'm a little slow on the uptake. But now when, when somebody says, hey, you know, I wonder what the population of Madagascar is. I don't have to guess. Google knows. Right? We were just talking about something this last. I can't even remember what it was now, but it's just this really obscure thing. And just typed it into my Google. And what I realized as I was typing on my phone that somebody who was around like Two people over was doing the exact same thing. We were sitting in a group and they were getting, so now it just became a race. Who gets to Google first? <laughs> How's that support your peace? I wonder if we all shouldn't have a commitment to Sabbath electronic shutdown. After you check in at church. Gee, Kim, you didn't even give me time for my pause drink of water. Would it give you more peace? It's my practice to turn off the television on Sabbath because I don't find TV peaceful. I don't find it to be encouraging to my experience on the Sabbath. I wonder if I'd find the same thing true if my iPad, my iPhone, and my computer took a nap for the day. You know? I get here in the morning and I'm futzing around with my phone or with my computer from probably five or so on until we start. I, I don't finish my sermon until it's finished preaching. I just keep playing with it and playing with it and playing with it. It's a bad habit I've been in for the last 30 years. How are you doing with peace? Do you feel peaceful this morning? We're reading a book called The Anatomy of Peace, and I think it's going to be helpful in some of the things I share with you today. But I just wanted to start with some things that we're familiar with. A place we've been, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Stop there for a minute. That no one shall falls short of the grace of God. Does that include the person outside the church? Yes. Does that include the person inside the church? Yes. In fact, I think the emphasis in this passage is actually on the people inside the church. Make sure that the church doesn't fall short of the grace of God. Make sure that the church gets it and gives it. Make sure that the church understands it and is a conduit for it. Make sure that we do not fall short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I've been thinking a lot about peace because I think that root of bitterness comes out of a lack of peace. Specifically today, I'm going to talk about a particular kind of peace that I think is directly linked to the roots of bitterness in our lives. Have you ever been bitter about doing something good? 
Is that a motive check? Someone said last week in our class, in our Sabbath school class, two profound things I'm going to share with you this, week, this morning. Two profound things. One, the person said, if I did only good. We talked about going about doing good last week, right? If She said, if I did only good in my household without bitterness, I think 90% of my frustrations would go away. Stop for a second. Have you ever gone and mowed the lawn out of bitterness, gentlemen, ladies? Have you ever washed the dishes out of bitterness? Have you ever picked up somebody's junk out of bitterness? Yeah. We all do, right? We all have a process where we, we embrace this bitter root when we're doing the right thing. Ever slow down to 55 out of bitterness? <laughs> do not let the root of bitterness grow up to cause trouble and defile many. You know what Jesus is? Jesus is peace. And Jesus is the answer to bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 to 15, beginning now at verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. By by the way, he defines this in the next couple of verses, what holiness is. So you may want to read ahead. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Where does he start in this discussion? Peace. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Romans chapter 12, if it is possible, as much as what? Say this one out loud. You need to say this one out loud to yourself. If it is possible, as much as what? As it depends on you, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. The importance of knowing that you have to you have to qualify this with as much as depends on you is because you can try to live at peace with a warring party and you'll never have peace with them. You can, you can be peaceful with them, but if they're never peaceful with you, it can't be changed. Their attitude toward you can't be changed. Only your response can be changed. You can be at peace when somebody else is at war with you. You don't have to escalate. You don't have to engage. You don't have to be part of this deal. They can be cranky, they can be warring, and you can be at peace. You can have a heart that is peaceful even in the midst of a tremendous battle. Verse 20 and 21. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. Who is that? Your what? Your enemy. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Who are you giving a drink to? Your enemy. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. We have abused this passage. Because, yeah, it is about motive, Dave. It's exactly about motive. Because what we read is, be nice to your enemy and you'll burn him. Where was the last place you'd want coals of of fire heaped? I don't know. My head's on that list pretty high. But you have to understand the cultural reference. That when you were camping, when you were traveling from place to place, and remember Israel traveled from, from one place to another often. Remember they would, they would take these long pilgrimages from their homes to Jerusalem. So they would travel, and in those travels they'd be sitting around campfires. Do you want to know how they carried coal from one place to another? 
They wrapped it in leather and then in cloth. They take a coal out of the fire, hot coal, wrap it in leather, wrap it in cloth so that it was well insulated. And they would carry it on their head. You know what heaping coals of fire is a reference to? That you are sharing the warmth of your fire with your enemy. You're not rotisserieing your enemy. This is not your little bit of hell granted to them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. In this manner, you will share the warmth of your own hearth with your enemy. Do not become, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with a coal off your own fire. You can be at peace even with your enemy. Because your peace doesn't depend on their heart. Okay? Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Some men have just driven nails through his wrists and his feet. They have torn his clothes off and he is hanging naked. They have been beating him most of the day. He has a crown of thorns on his head and they've just dropped this thing into a hole. And he looks down at these people who have perpetrated this and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My peace, that kind of peace, I am leaving with you. Why does the world universally recognize certain character traits in followers of God? Why is it universally true that people look at a person who is at peace in the midst of a storm because of their faith with admiration? Because a little light of the character of God is shining out of them. A small biographical sketch of who God really is. I want to get a little practical with you today about some pieces and how-tos in this, but I want you to understand the source, the resource. So here's where I want to start with some practical things. I've just pulled most of these things with some slight modifications out of a book called The Anatomy of Peace. You imagine yourself having a desire on behalf of someone that's good. So imagine that you're going down the street, merely having your own thing, doing your own thing, not paying any attention to anyone, and along walks another person. I want you to imagine that this person is someone that you do not like. And this person who comes walking along next to you, they don't see you or they do see you. They don't talk to you or they do talk to you. You can fill in the blanks in your own imagination. But in the midst of their passing by, feet from you, without your contact or any responsibility of your own, you didn't cause this. 
drops their purse. And the contents of the purse explode out of the thing. Onto the sidewalk. Coins and lipstick and wallet and glasses and everything that you can imagine that's inside a purse start flowing out onto the sidewalk like some eruption from a volcano. Your first immediate sense is, I should stop and help. Okay? Do you have a choice as to whether or not to do that? Yes, you do. The choice is, honor that sense, get down and help pick up the junk out of the purse of your enemy. Or, deny that sense. You can deny that this person needs your help. Look, three other people have already stopped. But as soon as you deny that sense inside of you to do the right thing, you start to build a little box for yourself. Because the next thing you do is begin to justify your decision. Right? Look, three other people have stopped to help. The last time I saw her, she was so hateful to me. I hope she stays down there the rest of the day. I am better than that. She deserves that. People like her belong down on their knees. You can justify it any way you want. But when you start justifying it, you build a little box for yourself. A box in that justification. You begin to to lock yourself in. You begin to say things like, I'm better than that. Oh my goodness, I've been a victim of that woman so many times. I behave badly because of her. It's not my fault. She makes me so upset. Ever said that about somebody? They make me so mad. Really? Make you? Or, this is my favorite, you walk by, the junk falls, it creates an earthquake and an explosion and a volcano, and you pretend you didn't see it. Why? Because you don't want anybody to know what kind of a louse you are, because if you saw it, you should, everybody knows you should stop and help, right? When you're looking at the other person, how are you viewing them? As you justify your behavior, you're considering them less than if you're better than. You're considering, considering them your victimizer if you're the victim. You're considering them bigoted or you're, they're one of those people. What are the feelings you have to maintain in order to protect yourself from the sense of doing the right thing? What are the feelings you have to maintain in order to keep yourself from feeling guilty about what you didn't do to help that person? What do you have to maintain? You have to maintain a little anger, a little bitterness, a little justified attitude, justification, self-righteousness. What are the feelings that that breeds about the world around you? Well, the world is unfair and unjust and burdensome, and it's all against me. Is this a heart at peace? In fact, what happens when you start putting the walls of this box up is very soon the, the blocks that build the walls that protect you and justify your bad behavior become the walls of your very own little prison. 
And they're stuck in the middle of this angry, bitter, self-righteous, self-justifying life. Is little old me. And I'm wondering why I don't have peace. Why Why do other people seem to be happy and peaceful? And I just can't seem to find that. Why am I stuck with this bitterness? Why am I stuck being the victim of everybody? Why is everyone so angry and bigoted towards me? Why does everybody not like me? Why does everybody hate me? Guess I'll go eat worms. These become your companions. These attitudes that you've justified yourself with become your companions. By now, you've started to think about this already. But if you have no picture of this in your mind, I want you to consider the last time you were given the impulse by God to do the right thing towards some other human being, and you walked away and justified that behavior. How did you manage to overwhelm the guilt with justification? Because the guilt comes, right? Oh, I should have stopped and helped her. The guilt begins to rise up. And the only way you can push it back down is justify. Justify your behavior. You have to think of that person as less than a person. They have to become one of them. They have to become an other. Because if you hold on to their humanity and their personhood, the guilt gets stronger, not weaker. Right? Does the box give you peace? You know what's crazy about these boxes? Once you build them, you end up carrying them around. They become your constant companion. These become your friends, like your relatives. And you become more comfortable with being bitter and angry at somebody else. You become more, more adept at justifying your bad behavior towards people. You become more able to think of other people as, uh, as other. And it becomes your little practice. And it becomes your little prison. And you wonder where your peace went. I think some of the things that Jesus was was saying when he said that we needed to become like little children is that we needed to find the kind of peace that little children have. You know, they don't really understand other. In the movie movie South Pacific I shared with you before, there's a, a little line in a song that stuck with me from the time I first heard it. You have to be taught before it's too late to hate all the people your relatives hate. You have to be carefully taught. You know, perhaps part of what Jesus was saying when he was saying, become like little children, is you might need to let down some of your filters and get out of some of your boxes. When you're caught inside that box, eventually it distorts everything and you can't see very well out of it. It becomes your lens for the world. It becomes how you translate people. It becomes how you see your family and your relatives. So we've just talked about a lady on the street 
Let's get a little closer to home. In this uh, particular book, so I don't have to tell stories about my own family, the author tells the story about being asked by his wife and making a promise to mow the lawn. Will you mow the lawn today? Yes, I will. Pretty simple. But he goes off to work that day, and while he's at work, things get a little out of hand. He gets really busy. He's getting home later than he thought he would. And while at work, his friend asked if he had some time to play tennis that night. His answer was, sure. So he gets home late from work. He's only got a few minutes before his tennis appointment. And when he walks in the door, his wife says, hey, honey, how you doing? I hope you get to that lawn. And now he says, I don't have time to do the lawn. I have an appointment. And she says, but you promised. And he says, I don't have time. And he begins to build a little wall. She's nagging me. Honey, you promised you'd take care of the lawn. It's looking bad. I'll do it if you're not going to do it. Oh, now she's belittling me. So rather than belittled by his wife because he wants to be seen by the neighbors as a good guy, he rushes outside in his work clothes and his fancy shoes and he runs the mower over the lawn as fast as he can go. And he runs back in the house, throws on his tennis clothes just in time to make his appointment and his wife says, Did you edge? He says, of course I didn't edge. You don't have to edge every time you do the lawn. It's fine. The lawn looks fine. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I'm going to my tennis appointment. Did you not edge? No, I didn't edge, and I'm not going to edge. And he goes off to play tennis. And he takes with him his box. His nagging wife who belittles him in front of the neighbor's. His frustration, his anger. And is she a human and a person and his dearly beloved? Or is she that nagging other? Plays tennis, has a great time, forgets about her, though he brings the box home with him. And when she gets when he gets home, she has built a box as well. Her undependable husband who can't even come home in time to make time to mow the lawn, who shirks his responsibilities to his family and his neighbors, and who gets angry when confronted by it, about it. And she's been steaming for the last two hours while he was playing tennis, and she's carrying around her box. So his box comes home to meet her box. And they start a boxing match. (laughs) She has not forgotten about the edging of the lawn. It's dark now. And she says, I went out and checked the lawn. It needs to be edged. 
And he says, it's dark. You want me to put my eye out? And she says, it still needs to be edged. And he says, fine. And he goes out still in his tennis clothes, takes out the edger, and he edges with vitriol and frustration and anger. He gives that that lawn a butch. And he comes back in and he says, okay, it's done. And she says, thank you. And they quietly and peacefully go lay down for the night next to one another. When you're inside this box, even your loved ones can become other. Can become enemy. Can become the nag or the lazy lout. So, how do you get out? The prompting of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Your enemy's purse has hit the ground, and you're caught on the horns of a dilemma. You choose to not help, and so you find yourself justifying your behavior. And the next time you see her at the grocery store, you pretend she wasn't there. Because to confront her eye to eye is to recognize her humanity, and to recognize her humanity is to reinvent your own guilt. And around... And around and around it goes. Some people are so well practiced at some of these boxes that it now defines their entire life. Bitterness, anger, frustration, other. How do I deal with it? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that people in the box don't miss the grace of God. See to it that the people you've built walls to separate yourself from don't miss out on the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness grow up and tr- cause trouble and defile many. Some of you have been living in a relationship in your marriage where bitterness has been your friend for the last 15 or 20 years. Grew out of some stupid thing like edging the lawn. Grew out of some small item and the walls just got thicker and taller and stronger until you're unable to penetrate them anymore. And you go home and you move about and everything kind of feels bitter and angry and frustrating. And you're in this relationship, but you're not in a relationship. You're in this sort of cohabitation between two enemies. You're not really at peace. You're in detente. 
A state of lack of war, not a state of peace. We've begun to accept the lack of war as the definition of peace. Both personally and culturally, we've begun to say, if we're not at war, we must be at peace. And it's just not true. Detente is war waiting to happen. Peace is an answer to the final decision. Get out of the box. Number one, recognize that there must be a box. Have you begun justifying, blaming? Have you begun dehumanizing? Are you in a box? Are you the better than box? Are you the worse than box? What box are you using to, to justify your choices and behaviors? Which one of those boxes did you pick? Do any of those things begin to walk into any of your relationships? Secondly, find perspective. Find perspective. When you're in the box, it's very difficult to define the box. It's hard to even know there's a box there because it's so natural. It's so natural to the sinful heart of the human to blame and justify and dehumanize others. But when you can get out of the box, when you can recognize the times in your relationship when you weren't feeling that way, you can start to see what it is. You can start to see it honestly and truthfully. I told you I went on a long walk. I drove my car over uh, and, and dropped it off because I needed a break because I had built a box. I didn't know the box was being built really. It had become, it, be, it began to build slowly. It was a box of bitterness to, between me and my wife. And it's, how do I know about the edging of the lawn and the mowing of the lawn and the way that feels? Because I've been there and I've done that. Now, I don't edge my lawn much. So my wife doesn't expect me to do it every time I mow. Thank you, Jesus. But there were things that I started doing. I am a house cleaner when I get angry. Yeah, my daughter says the same thing. When I get angry, I clean because I need to sort of find order in the mess that's making me frustrated or whatever. And I I start washing dishes, vacuuming stuff. If I'm bouncing the dishes inside the the sink, my kids know I'm upset. And they'll usually just let me get work, work it out with the dishes, me and the dishes. What I began to realize was that I was getting frustrated about picking up stuff and doing dishes and whatever and whatever and whatever. You know why? Because I was greater than and my wife was less than and these were not my responsibilities. They were hers. I'm telling you the truth because I think you've done it. And if I don't tell you about my own, you won't own up to yours. And I had built this box. And I was feeling it, and I was feeling the frustration, and I was feeling the bitterness, but I wasn't really certain what it was. So I went for an eight-mile walk. I did a good deed because I'm that kind of guy. I drove my wife's car over to the dealer and dropped it off because she was forgetting to. I had that wall up in my box, too. And I decided I was going to walk home. Pastor Greg had done it. Seemed like a good idea. 
I have a competitive wall in my box, too. And as I walked home, lots of exercise, lots of time, a little perspective. And I began to see that I had built this wall around myself. Bitter behaviors justified by bad thinking about people. About my own wife, about my own daughter, about my own household, my own family. Took eight, eight and a half miles to figure it out. But gaining a little distance and gaining a little perspective allowed me to see what I was living in and allowed me to look at how I was feeling from outside instead of trying to define it from inside. And I hope that I have completely destroyed that box. I doubt it. Because I think once you build one... You keep the pattern in your brain. You know, it's like the first time you assemble something, it's kind of difficult. The next time you do it, it's real easy. Yeah, I think that's what happens. I would like to say that right now, I, I, will, I will say that right now, I'm out of that box. It's been a whole week or a week and a half. Find some perspective. Think about some times when you were out of the box. Relationships that you have that are outside the box. Go talk to people who you don't have a bitter relationship with. Talk to them about what you're feeling. Help them point you to some answers. Look at memories of times when, then, when, that, when you were outside of the box. Events that you were engaged in that allowed you to have that difference and that peace. Where are you peaceful? Where do you find a relationship that brings you peace? Is there someone in your life who every time you talk to them, it just gives you at ease, it sets you at peace? How do you get to that person? How do you talk to that person? Spend some time with that person so that you can get some perspective on the box that you've built. Once I'm outside, I can see my own little prison. You know what's fun about this? The book that I read was a pretty secular book. And I'm reading the book going... This is what Jesus does. Jesus gives you a peaceful relationship from which to see the box. He gives you perspective. He gives you the opportunity to step back, see the box for what it is, see the prison that you've built for yourself, and begin to realize, I can get away from that. I, in fact, can have the peace that passes understanding. I can have the peace that he offered to me. How? By simply getting outside of that box and starting to see the people around me as humans whom he died for. Look into the eyes of people, not just at their faces, and recognize in them as the beating heart of someone for whom Christ died. The beating heart of someone who he wants in the kingdom. It doesn't matter their race, nationality, culture, or relationship to you, if you look them in the eye, it changes things just a bit. And when I begin to realize the price he paid for the person I'm trying to dehumanize, 
changes my perspective. And the walls aren't protecting me from my guilt and justifying my bad behavior. They're a prison that keeps me from peace. I believe that all of us use these. In one way or another, at one time or another, we get ourselves into these boxes. Some of you are in one right now. Some of you have been in one for 20, 30 years. Some of us carry them around waiting for the opportunity to jump back in. Some of us have three or four that we put on like our clothes that we change day to day. Everybody around us knows. But we slip in and out of them so easy, it's like an old friend. A well-worn pair of jeans. They are almost comforting because they justify our bad behavior. But you don't find peace. In here, you find peace out there. There's a lot more to be said about this. But can I say just one last thing? That in recognizing the grace of God given to you and me, we come to a branch and a choice. Look what God has done for me. I'll take it for me, keep it for me, and share it with no one. Or I will see that there is ample, abundant grace for everyone in my life and become this little well that brings grace into my relationships, that carries peace around, And it humanizes every person I come in contact with. I told you there were two things that were said that I thought were very helpful last week in second look class. One was, I can do good for the wrong reason. And I think that if I start doing good without the bitterness I sort of bring along with it, most of my problems would go away. Most of my frustrations would go away. And the other one was this, very practical. The next time I'm driving down the freeway, and I've practiced this this week, it's, it works for those few seconds that I allow it to. When I'm traveling down the road and down the freeway and somebody's doing whatever in front of me, before you respond, verbally or non-verbally, call them friend. Not through clenched teeth, and fists, but call them friend. It's crazy what it does, but it changes the relationship. Yeah, they're just in a car. Yeah, they're just going down the street in front of you. But it changes your feelings toward them. And you know what it, you know what it grants you? Peace. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we are masters at brokenness. I pray for your healing. We build walls where walls don't need to be. I pray that you would demolish them. We have come here today with our boxes and some of us are imprisoned. I pray for your perspective. I pray for strength, courage, faithfulness to walk the path you lay out in front of us, to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond in honoring that voice, to serve as you would serve, to go about truly doing good and not resist and push you away and then find myself having to justify my behavior. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to represent your character as people of peace. People whose heart is at peace. In Jesus' name, amen.